Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. My guest today is someone that I met at the recent GeoMob Finland. Uh, afterwards, not she was not a speaker, um, although hopefully she'll be a speaker at a future GeoMob Finland. But um, we met afterwards during during the Geo Beers, and uh, she does research on a fascinating topic that I thought would be widely applicable to our audience. So I wanted to get her in here to talk about this. Welcome to the show to Merve Keskin, who is the who is a researcher, a geomatics engineer, and a cartographer, um, working at the Finnish Geospatial Research Institute, which is of course part of the National Land Survey of Finland. And uh, her main focus of her work there is, uh, you know, cartography, the map design, visualization, and user testing, and basically understanding how people look at maps, how they use the maps, and and thus, of course, what we can do to make better maps. So, with that being said, uh, welcome to the show, Merve. Uh, thank you very much for the nice introduction, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's it's our pleasure to have you here. So let's dive right in. What what are we doing wrong with our maps? What what what, what have you learned? What do we what what how do we make good maps, Marva? Okay, like that's a very like a broad question. But uh, as you mentioned, my expertise lies in user testing methods and mostly in the uh, usability of maps and the cognitive issues of uh, map users. Uh, I'm also a vice chair in the usability. Community User Experience Commission uh, under International Cartographic Association. So I basically uh, deal with understanding how people look at maps, uh, mainly using eye tracking. And eye tracking is a method uh, to measure where we look. It might be on screen or it might be in real world using mobile devices and everything. And one question. So, so what kind of maps are we talking about here? You're talking about uh, on on a screen, on a mobile phone, paper maps, and uh, someone looking at an atlas. What all of it? What what exactly are you focused on? I'm talking about two uh, D screen maps, and I mostly deal with the static maps. Uh, could be web maps, for instance. In my thesis, I work with Google uh, navigation maps, Google road maps. I would say, and yeah. Uh, I was mostly interested in landmarks on maps and how people perceive these landmarks. Okay, and what what have you learned? I mean, what are we are we doing it all wrong? Oh well, um, actually, I was in um, uh, understanding the differences between experts and novices, and since these Google navigation maps are like a more broad use both experts and both novices use these maps and they're kind of familiar with that. And what I found is irrespective of expertise, participants spend more time looking at the task relevant areas. What task relevant areas means, for instance, I ask them to focus on hydrographic features on the map and I ask them to remember these certain features on map. And I gave them, for instance, multiple choices with skeleton maps, we call. I don't want to go into too much detail about this terminology, but sketch maps are the maps we created ourselves by uh, generalizing some main features, like hydrographic features in my experiment. So we saw that 
irrespective of expertise, people look at this task-relevant areas, as we hypothesize, but experts were better at selective attention and allocation. So there were, therefore, they were ignoring irrelevant areas. For yeah, the this is a big problem, of course. If you spend all your time working with maps and, and interacting with maps, then you forget that most people don't, I guess. And, and so for them, a, a, mask, a map can be confusing. Uh, and Exactly, because it is very different than the other visual stimuli. For instance, eye tracking research has been done since 60s, but it's been done with a basic stimuli most of the time. But map is more complex than that. And the cognitive procedures happening in maps does not really match with other theories like saliency theories. Because they use, like, also, of course, in psychological research as well, they use really simple visual stim stimuli. So this is one difference in, in maps. Well, I, I also have to say, I feel like the maps recently, I, I hate to pick on Google Maps, but obviously it is probably the most commonly used digital map. It's getting more and more cluttered and more and more complicated and more and more, you know, and so often I have the experience that I just want to, like see the name of a street and they don't even show it. And you've got to like zoom out, zoom in and see if hopefully you can get, find the right layer where they, where they actually show you the freaking name of the map, uh, the name of the street. And they're just like, this is not a good experience, you know? And it's, it might be different at every uh, level of details for uh, different areas as well. It was not very consistent. For instance, in our experiments, we thought about like OpenStreetMaps, Yandex Maps, but Google Map was the most consistent one. Uh, above like all of all of them. That's why we chose it. But of course, it has some inconsistencies. It has some problems as well. And uh, actually, that brings us to an issue that we mostly use eye tracking for usability research. But why don't we use eye tracking for interaction, like as an interactive tool to engage with maps? For instance, if we think about like mobile. Uh, maps there are like endless zooms and taps of course there's like audio as well but why not using eye tracking as a tool to interact with maps for instance so so wait how would this work like the camera on the phone would kind of look at my eyes and see the section that i'm looking at is that yes how it... like that's the idea actually and this is uh, like one of um my ideas about it maybe is this is this like this is theoretical research you're kind of doing or you're building have you built a prototype of this i mean do you actually have something not working? yet not yet like this smartphone eye tracking has been used in other disciplines but not for maps it is just like utilizing machine learning algorithms to mimic eye trackers by using smartphone camera and the face imagery of participant there's a paper from uh, like mit i think they published in 2016 or something and and there is also like several research in cartographic interaction with uh, eye tracking and also in our former research we did this same thing uh, uh, it's called together this this project we designed uh, a prototype but we designed it but not for instance like it's not really a prototype but we designed a system that would learn and adapt to uh, map users uh, strategies but the the uh, complicated thing here is like most of the machine uh, learning algorithms they work for raster data 
but our maps are vector data. And like the selecting those vector features is not easy. There is also another research called Feature ITREC from ETH Zurich. For instance, it is, it is possible to match and list the coordinates of the features that you look at. But selecting those features and, for instance, all the similar features around the whole map, this is a complicated issue and it's not been resolved yet. Yeah, I could imagine this would be very difficult. I mean, we already have the situation that sometimes when I'm on desktop, you know, like, if you have a mouse with a trackball and the mouse, you know, it doesn't quite do what you want. You can't quite get to the thing you want. And it's, uh, oh, man, I could imagine, I could imagine this eye tracking thing. It's the kind of thing that when it works perfectly, it's great, but when it doesn't, it's probably very, very And annoying especially and very for confusing. the moment, like there are some inconsistencies with the accuracy. Like yeah. we fix that accuracy issues for desktops and everything because it's more static, but if we use this uh, machine learning algorithms and the face recognition, there will be, of course, a certain limitation. And for the moment, as far as I know, it's 1.5 centimeter, and it's not enough for uh, smartphone screens. So, one 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 question, Reva. You you mentioned all this research, and and of course, you yourself, um, uh, you know, have an academic background, have a PhD. Um, so the, the, this work that you're doing, this is for a, a research, like like just in the sense of pure research, or is this really, um, you know, product development type work that's that's happening in Finland, like that that that's then flowing into how the maps are actually made, or give us an idea there. Yeah, uh, the the former topic I mentioned, it's like a theoretical research. For the moment, I don't have funding for that, but. What I do here is like it, uh, mostly for like, for instance, the project I'm working on for the moment is like NLS, a National Land Survey of Finland, will release new maps and they change the design uh, drastically. So for instance, I'm testing the usability of these maps. For the moment, we have four different designs. Uh, one, one change is the dominant background color because in Finnish maps, the forests were depicted in white color, oh. since the whole <laughs> Finland <laughs> it would look green otherwise. But now there is an idea to switch it back to green background again. And another different, another uh, important change is like visualizing cycling roads on topographic maps. This is quite new because in like traditional maps, we don't see cycling roads. So this really affects what we hypothesize is this really affects how people choose transport modes. Because if you are really used to see the main roads all the time, you wouldn't think uh, to take your bike and go outside or you wouldn't think walking maybe. So this is also one thing that would add up to this sustainable mobility. Um, Approach. How, yeah, yeah, wait, I'm just thinking your your point about changing the design. I mean, that's a pretty radical step. In, and I'm wondering, I'm thinking, you know, one of the challenges that we face making digital maps is that, you know, the vast majority of the population, I guess, has grown up with the traditional concept of a map. You know, typically the, the way the national... Um, you know, land survey has done yeah, the maps in their country. Agencies, so, yeah. exactly. So, the mapping agency. So, like in the UK, the ordnance survey. And there are many, many people who think, okay, a map has to look like an ordnance survey map, you know? And 
the the problem there is that those maps, you know, were were made in the time of paper and and you know they don't they don't necessarily not everything translates one to one to the digital experience, particularly on mobile. Um, so have you have you thought at all about this, or how do we uh, you know is this a is this an understood problem, and how are people grappling with this? Well, that's a big big question, <laughs> I would say, and and I can only talk about actually the usability perspective of it, like for instance, uh, like screen size, responsiveness, and uh, like the interaction how people uh, use these maps because it's much different than using a paper map or using a, a screen map. That's why do, I... W do, do you find big differences in usability? I mean, are there certain best practices that um, really stand out? I think one problem is this eye-tracking research in cartography is the lack of best practices and the lack of benchmark data. Uh, that's why we have some work on this as, as a community. Um, for instance, for my uh, thesis, the, the collected uh, eye tracking data, we published this data online on uh, hard, uh, Harvard Dataverse. And I think it's really important to sharing open data sets to expand our research, not necessarily uh, in the community, but also for the, the transdisciplinary context, I would say. Sure. I I can remember one time a couple of years ago we had a guy come to GeoMob in London, and for example he did he had done research on color blindness, mm -hmm. you know so some people are colorblind and he talked about how certain maps like he just can't use them, because that you know he can't um, you know he just can't see the different shades and things like that and so. And you could see for a lot of people in the audience they were like oh I had no idea you know so. Uh, we really do need better best practices for these kinds of situations, and um... yeah, and those best practices also need for because we talk about AI a lot, we talk about machine learning a lot, and those best practices and those open data sets are also needed for, for instance, making predictive models. Uh, we need data, and most of the data sets, for instance, for like saliency work, they are. Um, a collected in freewheeling condition with no specific tasks. So we cannot really use those algorithms for, for map research. For instance, the, the data, um, data set we uh, published on a Harvard Dataverse called uh, Cartagase, it contains large eye movement data, uh, like for instance, 350 trial per participant, and we had almost 50 participants. So we uh, published the task descriptions, full procedural details for the, reproduce, for the reproducibility of results and like create possibilities for future research, for instance, uh, developing predictive AI models without collecting more data. I see. So, so what? How do? How does this research typically work? Someone is given a task; they need to find a restaurant or something, or figure out something the route like from that. A to B or something like that. Okay. And how can you tell if they're? Yeah. And then you, what? You measure how long it takes them, or you measure? Yeah, we have different metrics. Yeah, we have different metrics. For instance, in eye tracking research, there are two fundamental metrics, like fixations and saccades. Like fixations are, like the the points that you focus. Um, the, the, like that your attention is most drawn to. And between two fixations, there is a saccade. Saccades are quick movements. 
Okay. And it also gives a lot of information about the cognitive procedures. For instance, we could use fixation duration to understand the cognitive load. Uh, like the longer the fixation duration, there are like two interpretations. One is people are interested in that area yeah. and they want to uh, uh, explore more or they find it confusing. That's why well, they look but, more. But 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 that's that's difficult, right? Because those are like exact opposites. Right? Exactly. And that's why we need mixed methods. That's why we don't only use eye tracking and we rely on that. That's why we have to complement it with post-test questionnaire. For instance, I ask my participant their strategy, how they look at maps. If they find it confusing or if they find it interesting, we interpret uh, like that. I see. So um, I, guess, I guess I have a few more questions that, that, that I came up with kind of before our conversation. So I don't know if these are exactly relevant for your, for your area of research or not. But I mean, one of the biggest challenges in, in uh, creating digital experiences uh, recently, or let's say in the last decade or so, has been, of course, the rise of mobile. You know, you have all these people. On the one hand, first of all, we try to create this experience on desktop. And usually almost all the work that I'm aware of of building digital experiences is happening on desktop. Right. I don't know any developer. I mean, of course, people then test on mobile, but they do the programming, they do the creation, they do the designing on desktop. But now the vast majority of the consumption of the digital experience is happening on mobile. Do you see problems there? And do you see, um, you know, how is this, uh, does that lead to, to mistakes? Or what would you recommend there for people building, trying to create an online you know, geospatial digital experience? I mean, I think I already answered this question. <laughs> um, uh -huh. I don't know what else. What else I I can say um, on this topic. I mean, do you is is research happening on this? Are people? I mean, what do you I see? I mean, like the, you are, mean are designing common... in mo mobile environments. Like we well, should do the design in mobile environment as well. Or I, I don't. Well, I, I'm not saying they should do that. to design because it's easier to design on. Exactly, yeah, but, but then it, it leads to, you know, it, you can create, and I mean, it's very common you see, uh, I mean, not even just maps, like it, you see an amazing, someone will create an amazing website on desktop and then it, it doesn't, doesn't work, work at all on mobile. Exactly. exactly, it doesn't work on mobile. Um, and I, I mean, occasionally you sometimes see the opposite, like you see like you land on a web page on the desktop and it's expecting you to like use hand gestures or whatever, but you can't. You know, obviously, or whatever. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very, I think that's, that's front-end development job, no? To think about uh, also, like, if it's responsive in mobile as well. Yeah. But for instance, we, we can do the usability testing on mobile phones using mobile uh, eye tracker, like eye tracking glasses, and how people uh, engage with, with mobile maps. But in the design issue, of course, it should be designed to work best in both desktop and mobile uh, apps, I would say. I mean, another, another question I have for you is, in the last year or two, we have seen a lot of new startups, and actually some of them have been here on the, on the podcast or, um, or at our various events, of people trying to create you know, I'm not sure what the exact term is for this category, but trying to simplify map making. Okay. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. so better tools, and, and typically aimed at, at, let's say, normal people, not people from with a geospatial background. 
and you know all the way from someone who wants to you know put a few points on a map all the way up to yeah more complex geospatial experiences but 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 without having to like you know fire up uh, uh, you know Esri's entire tool chest um have you played with any of these tools and are they following kind of the best pra I mean do you see the results of the research that you and others are doing flowing into these tools like are they actually simpler or are they repeating the kind of same mistakes that that have been made yeah i actually explore a little bit like felt or a proxy kind of uh these type of uh startups working on map ma making uh like making mapping simpler and as you say there for like uh, non-expert users and some even uh, incorporate AI for instance for generating point of interest you can just type like find restaurants in this geofence and then it adds uh, everything and I think it's it's a nice thing because as we also know of the contribution of uh, open street maps this crowdsource uh, data especially for the uh, regions that lacks uh, geospatial data from the mapping agencies. And they also help us to take like quick actions at disasters. For instance, the last uh, Turkey-Syria uh, earthquake, like OSM uh, really initiated this map making and they really mapped the area really fast. And I also believe this democratization of cartography, we could say carta democracy, <laughs> because we like why do we make maps because we make maps to be informed or to inform people about some spatial phenomena and they're also great tools to open up discussions because they are very powerful tools so you can show a map to anyone from all different disciplines and people can really discuss uh, on these things and also the the paradox here is like what a, what better way to learn than get your hands on in map making process for a non-expert and there will there will always be bad maps but there will always be roles for us professionally to improve methods to incorporate this cutting edge technologies and most importantly educate others and be aware of this and i think my uh, idea here is to like pairing both these things and professionally produce geospatial data and leverage both because it doesn't mean that not every cartographer produce beautiful maps better maps that's also yeah like a question no i mean people create bad bad maps all the time i mean there are numerous uh, uh, social media accounts dedicated to terrible maps you know the, the exactly either through the choice of content or especially the, choice of the, the election or maps of us that was a huge debate yes, of course, how you of course, really so. visualize it because like data visualization is one thing but geospatial data visualization is another thing for instance people use color to um, visualize these elections yeah do you one one question that that leaps out at me as well is are there big differences across cultures in how people look at maps and how people understand maps yeah. have, have you worked on that I can generalize but uh, I have some ideas because when I uh, did my experiments in Belgium during my PhD I had um, Asian participants and Belgian participants for okay. instance. I asked them to study the map and remember the main structuring features like main roads, hydrography and everything as long as they want. They could study and they could draw the sketch map as long as they want. 
For instance, Asian participants gave a really, really detailed sketch maps. For instance, they didn't even generalize. Like they put all the little fields, even like they drove the buildings. Although I asked, just asked, just show the residential area. So this might be also an expert bias because experts are, for instance, more uh, driven to give uh, the holistic answer and a correct answer. So they might be more ambitious. And also uh, what I see in Finland uh, is like there isn't uh, kind of significant differences between um, expert and novices because here is orienting is a huge hobby. So people are like really used to deal with maps since early ages. This is also very important, like education and cultural differences, I would say, although I didn't go in detail uh, about this, it really affects how people perceive geospatial information and geospatial uh, and, and their environments, let's say. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering now off the top of my head, you know, the area that I work on, geocoding and addresses, there's huge differences in how how countries do their addresses. You know, like in some, some countries don't even have addresses. They just kind of use landmarks and you kind of, you know, go to this landmark and then look for this smaller landmark and then, look, you know, and then it's it's the red house or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if that would affect... Of course, it affects how people think of location, I guess. But uh, but then, how that transfers to are they able to? Uh, how are they able to uh, interact with a map and think of a map and and maybe also if that's changing now. I mean, the other big change I think would be interesting to study would be generationally. I mean, it used to be, you know, maps. Of course, there were always maps, but you know, it was in paper, and so you have to, <coughs> you might not have a map with you and. It was kind of rare that that you would have the map, and now everyone always has the map with them. Not just the map, but also the satellite view, the the um, the routing service. You know, everyone has that with them all the time on their phone, and, and so there's more interaction with maps than ever before. I would guess exactly. Um, and so I guess that must also be changing, possibly for better and possibly for worse. I mean, I you know we've all met people now who you ask them, you know, to drive somewhere and it's like two kilometers away and they're, they're just like, you know, they instantly type it into the, the sat-nav and they're, they're powerless without the sat-nav in their, or, or the phone or whatever. Exactly. Right? For they, instance, they're... I can talk about Turkey about that, that, that there's a huge change. For instance, like giving the coordinates to a taxi driver was an assault 10 years ago. Like, because they would claim that, now, of course I know the location. But for the moment, like uh, my friend who lives in the, the same city for 10 years, uh, type in uh, immediately the location and everything, even if she knows where it is. Even I know. <laughs> i just been there a couple of times. They just rely too much on GPS, even if they know the location because of validation, I think. People want to be verified most of the time. Yeah, people. some people want the validation. I guess in theory, if it has real-time traffic or something, I, you know, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely, I think a lot more work is is needed here to study how these how all these changes that are happening because we have the technological change, we have the cultural change, we have yeah. uh, uh, the interface change of, of how we're interacting with the map. Yeah, because, for for instance, there is, like, a, a huge debate in uh, international cartography uh, conferences that does these tools like navigation aid tools 
like affects our spatial cognition positively or negatively because if we just look at the navigation screen all the time we don't pay attention to landmarks anymore we actually don't know where we are we just want to go from point a to point b that's why like the experience is much more different when you walk around or when you cycle than when you're in a car uh, very true very true yeah um, and the, I, I, we had a talk one time, uh, I can't remember, was that at an event? I, I, but people, people much less now have the experience of getting lost. You know, I mean, of course, you can still get lost and not know precisely where you are, but you know that, okay, with my phone, I can always, you know, if I need to, I can just type in my home address and say, get me from here to there. What right? if your battery and, is glow and your battery is <coughs> gone? What will you do? <laughs> That's well, first of all, I start. You start having a heart attack when your yeah. battery gets below ten percent. That's a given. That's independent of the maps. But um, yeah, it, it's a very interesting development, and uh, you know, I see it with all of my kids. You know, who don't have the experience of having looked at paper maps and having. Yeah, but I also see it in our cartography conferences is that like young people, of course, they use their smartphones, but like seasoned cartographers would still open a paper map. In, in the city they are they don't use <laughs> mobile maps what well, you, you know we we at uh, geomob we've for many years we've had the sponsor splash maps who makes the fabric yeah, maps yeah i'm aware and the the best thing about the fabric map is not that to use it as a navigation tool but it's you can put it on the table and everyone can gather around it you know, we can all look at the map together and point at it. And you can't do that on someone's one person on their phone. You know, it, you don't have that experience of like me being able to point at the map and show you like, oh, look, we could go this way or that way. <coughs> it's just very hard to do that on a small mobile device. It's exactly. a very different experience. Yeah, there are like huge table screens responsive so you can tap and click but that's not very available for everyone <laughs> and that's not practical you cannot carry it around so paper maps will still uh, be there i think even I as, so. as a souvenir so. even <laughs> well yes obviously often as a souvenir or as a, as a memento of a of a journey or things like that. So anyway, it's it's good to hear that um, this research is ongoing and that uh, no doubt there will be material for a lot more um, study in the years to come. Yeah, especially like I want to mention one uh, thing about this uh, collaboration I'm doing with a computer engineer from Adelaide University. Uh, Please. Uh, they develop one tool uh, called Gazelytics. So it's a web okay. tool and it's open for everyone now. They just published their paper like a month ago or something. And that allows for super straightforward visual analysis. So it is like um, it favors visual analysis over quantitative analysis because we mostly deal with this hurdle of uh, so many metrics, so many participants. You try to find the statistical difference, the statistical significance in differences and everything. But first, I think we have to explore the data visually. And the, the background of this gazelytics are also very interesting because it was the idea was originated uh, for visualizing eye tracking. Uh, the, the original idea for visualizing this eye tracking data is 
based on the realization that eye tracking data has a lot of similarities to geographic movement data, such as GPS data, because it's just like time and XY coordinates. It's the same for screen coordinates uh, and as well. And that they could use the techniques uh, used in geographic visualization. And together with an overlap of graph network analysis visualization, this was initiated by Sarah Goodwin and Tim Diver. And I was asked to evaluate this tool before it was published. And I think I was the only person with the geographic background to analyze this data. And for the moment, I'm analyzing the data both with Toby software, which is a commercial software, and with this open tool. And it really gives us um, very insightful, uh, um, very insightful outcomes based for the strategy uh, of people, how they look at the maps. For instance, we can see the sequence, how they look at, for instance, like there is a term called uh, area of interest. So you can choose some area of interest and more, mostly these area of interest are predefined. For instance, I'm interested in this water object and we draw an AOI in, around this water object and we look at this. But sometimes when you actually look at the uh, people's uh, eye movement data, you see that the most focused area is not that one. And for instance, surrounding features are also important, not only that water feature. So it gives us a possibility to, data, to uh, create data-driven AOIs. And then we can uh, see more differences in their uh, strategies, for instance, in what order they look at some certain AOIs. Uh, for instance, with some maps, I see the legend uses higher compared to the other designs. So for, for instance, for some specific tasks, if they go back and forth too much with map area and legend, it gives us a kind of a hint that this map is not that usable. It's not easy to understand. It's, not, it's yeah. not easy to understand or it's not intuitive to interpret the colors of those features, for instance. So that was one thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So we need new metrics, more sophisticated uh, eye tracking metrics to understand the differences between so that we could design better maps for them. Well, all right. I'm glad. I'm glad you and your colleagues are on it. Then, very, very nice, very nice. As as we wrap up here, what what leave us with the, with a summary message? What is the most important thing that from from all your research and 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 the readings you've done and things like that? What's the takeaway for anyone out there who's designing maps? What what should they think about? Um, I think the key is um, that we cartographers do most of the time wrongly is like don't just assume that you design the best map just because you're a cartographer and always include users at every stage of the design cycle, not as a passive uh, element of this design, but an active part of this process. And because like gathering all the data, performing all the analytical process, uh, like even applying uh, machine learning and everything, uh, developing systems and visualization tools are of course something, but usability is everything. If the thing you uh, develop is not usable, it is more or less rubbish at the end of the day. People won't use it. Yeah, this is this is a trap many technical people fall in. I mean, be it be it in the geospatial world or in uh, software development at all. You know, they get too 
too excited about the technology and the you know and then forget it's all about yeah. solving so much problem on the other end. Yeah, it also relates like thinking out of box because we don't design maps for ourselves. We design maps for others. And that's also one thing I would like to mention that is like we initiate something called uh, next generation cartographers. Um, it is not a working group, not a commission. It's just an initiation. It's at this early stage for the moment. And it is to provide space uh, in which early career professionals like doing their master's, PhD or postdoc, they can articulate their visions, needs, concerns and collect ideas for a network of support and exchange uh, ideas across generations. And it is a global and a diverse uh, community, um, especially for the academicians from Gro Global South, Asia, and from other underrepresented groups uh, can contribute this perspective. And I can give, I can drop the link maybe at the end of the... Yeah, well, we'll get the link in the show notes. Yeah. So definitely. Great resource for anyone, um, you know. Yeah, notes, it is open to anyone who will see themselves under the loosely defined label of next generation cartographers. Okay, very cool. Um, well, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show, Marva, and, and speaking with us. What is the what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if they if they want to have questions uh, or they, they want to learn more a, about your work? Yeah, I have a website, uh, very easy, drmarvakeskin, drmarvakeskin.com. And we'll uh, get that in the show notes as well, of course, yeah, so that people can Sure, then can they can see my email address and everything, my research there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much uh, for taking the time. And, Thank you. Um, and I hope to see you at a future Geomob Finland again. Yeah, sure. So. <laughs> I'm very keen to go. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the Geomob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon. <laughs>